my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. I really hope that you'll review our podcast and subscribe if you haven't already. Today's my weekly opportunity to correct my wrongs and hear what you have to say about me and our Clark Stink segment. Later, I want to talk about those invites you may have received for a free fancy steak dinner. All you have to do is choke down a sales pitch from a supposed financial advisor while you're there. I'm going to tell you why this is ultra, ultra dangerous. So, Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. That's where you go and post when you hear me say something on the podcast that upsets you, annoys you, or you feel I'm just plain dumb. Our producer, Krista, goes through your posts each week and shares her favorites with you right here on the podcast. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. They are not my favorites. Just, I'm just saying. They're good, though. Okay. Let's start with this one. You are stomping on romance, Mr. Howard. Mr. Howard. Okay. I need to stop you right there because I don't think we explained enough that I'm just plain old Clark. Please call me Clark. We're all in this together. And Mr. Howard, that's kind of off-putting for me. Okay. Well, it wasn't me. <laughs> But Jordan said, you were stomping on romance, Mr. Howard, regarding the woman concerned about the similar names of her daughter and future sister-in-law. Instead of holding her maiden last name, she could just as easily change her legal first name and still go by her original name. The name change possibilities are endless. Thankfully, your stinkiness is not, Jordan. Jordan, thank you. I appreciate that. I will tell you that uh, even with the change of the first name, the files will remain in the credit bureau system is what they call married. And it would be a more romantic way to do it, though. And you just have to be aware that the similarity of the names would lead to a co-mingling on their credit reports. I'm concerned about your love for free services like Credit Karma, Mint.com, and others. Remember that whenever something is free, you're not the customer, you're the product. The actual customers are the companies that buy all the personal financial data collected from users. I don't deny these are great services, but the price of free is just too high, Michael. Michael, thank you. And this is something we deal with in the internet world all the time. I mean, you think about Google, the suite of free services that Google offers. They are trading on our information. They're tracking what we do. Uh, Nobody is more abusive with that than Facebook and Facebook-owned Instagram. And now WhatsApp that's owned by Facebook that is spying on you constantly. I think, did I mention the thing recently, did the experiment where my wife said something specifically around her phone just to see if within minutes ads would occur? And that's exactly what happened. And that is because she is an Instagram user. Try it yourself. And so, yes, you are right. Credit Karma and Mint. Both financial sites are also involved in giving you free services in return for sharing 
your personal information, not directly, but they're able to build profiles on you and recommend products to you. So yes, Michael, completely a trade-off. Each of us have to decide if the cost of free is too high. I can't believe someone as practical and intelligent as Clark Howard still invests in paper towels. Environmentalism aside, why not switch to absorbent microfiber towels or plain old rags that you can wash, reuse, and never have to waste money on again, Madeline? You sure that wasn't from my daughter, Steffi? (laughs) So uh, Steffi does not ever want to see when she comes from California to visit us, she never wants to see a paper towel in our house. And so we have these reusable uh, that are they're cloths that are like, uh, we use them like paper towels, and we use them, we wash them, they roll back on a roller, and we do reuse them. And so we are mixed on this where we use paper towels and we use the reusable towels. And the reality is we use the reusables enough that we don't use near the number of paper towels we used to. We compost our paper towels. You can do that too, just so you know. Composting is really in. I'm sure somebody will send me a Clark Stinks about why that is not environmentally friendly though. Okay. While I'm a huge fan of yours, a monologue last week left you stinking more than a baby diaper in an oven. You highly emphasize <laughs> the need to bring in more labor from abroad through an expanded guest worker system to help fill jobs and mention that we already do so for agriculture. Clark, what's pungent is that you didn't make any mention of making it easier for families to have children and more children equates to more future workers. While guest workers have their place in the economy, we need to incentivize and make it easier for women and families to have children by subsidizing, subsidizing childcare reducing the cost of how expensive college is, and making it easier for women to return to work without being discriminated against. And that's from Casey. And we have a couple of others about this, too. Okay. Do you want me to read them all first? No, let me let me okay. deal with Casey's statement first. So, Casey, yes, we are moving to a point in American society that we are uh, below ZPG, zero population growth, as we're having so few babies in the United States. Childcare is virtually impossible to find now, affordable or not. It's one of the big problems that we have getting people back to work in the pandemic is they've not been able to find care for their children. And there's economists that talk about how childcare is a failed element of capitalism. You cannot, without some form of subsidy, Make child care work for people where the people who work in child care make enough money and that it's still affordable for a family with young children. So this is something that we as a society have as unfinished business. And I don't know in the political gulf we have in the United States where the political parties, the people of them, don't talk to each other. I don't know how we attack the big issues. I mean, my goodness, we've known for years that Social Security and Medicare are running out of money, and the political class can't even be adult enough to work on solutions together, and it must be together to solve these problems. So uh, you are right about the child care aspect, the cost of college, 
everything you said is true. And this is a different opinion, and this is the last one I'll read. Your comments on guest workers were far off base. The agricultural guest worker program works because it's seasonal. Most workers don't bring their families, and after a few months, they're anxious to get back home. But unfilled job openings now are predominantly non-seasonal. Once someone takes one of these jobs and has been here a year or two, the U.S. is home. They won't want to go back, and some administration, some Congress, sometime will let them stay. Then we will have established a low-skill immigration program, which is exactly the opposite of what we need, Ed. Ed, thank you for that. And, you know, you are right on this, that most work that is low-skill, low-wage is not seasonal like the agricultural example that I gave. And we do have a need for people who are ultra-highly educated and skilled in the United States But going back to the prior comment, the uh, political gulf in the United States has made that a very difficult thing to solve. As for what you said about allowing people in that they would not want to go home, that is a possibility. I want to know, though, what do we do with an aging population to fill all these jobs that are going begging? couple about this topic, Clark. I would never say you stink because I'm such a devoted listener, but I have to admit that your comments about general education courses in college brought me right up to the edge. It's true that not everyone should go to college. It's true that kids can save a great deal of money by going to community college. What's not true is your assertion that the first two years of college, presumably general ed survey courses, are meaningless. Clark, our country and our world are in a big mess today, because too few adults have learned the critical thinking skills they need to sift through the news to determine where the truth lies. Too few adults are historically and culturally literate. And since most kids in high school have arrived there before, after traveling through school with their very limited geographic and social subgroup, college also plays an important role in building tolerance and empathy for those who have grown up in different parts of our society. Before you pronounce all that worthless, think about our nation's polarization and consider how a more thoughtful, compassionate, and informed electorate might change things for the better. Not everything in college is about the profession that comes later. Much of it should be about learning to think, process, research, and relate to others in a mature way. So, this is, it shouldn't be either or, and that's from Sue. Sue, I want to thank you. And Okay, so here's the problem, and this is the gender thing. Uh, you know, what I was talking about when I was talking about this issue is that we're just a couple of years away from when two-thirds of college graduates are going to be women, that men overwhelmingly no longer connect to college, aren't getting the skills that would lead to good, gainful lifetime employment, which doesn't have to be from college, by the way. There are other ways you can get that. But overwhelmingly, men are getting no education beyond high school. So for whatever reason, men don't relate to those core courses, those 100-level and 200-level courses. And we almost need to flip it upside down where the first two years teach you a skill and the second two years teach the other things so that at least if a guy drops out, he will have gotten a skill that he can use in the workplace. So that is the point I meant to make and maybe failed to make it adequately when you heard me talk about the problems with men in college. 
Clark, the stench emanating from my cell phone while listening to your podcast was unbearable. I'm a certified floodplain manager. Your advice that flood insurance is cheap is pure nonsense. Have you not heard of the Biggert Waters Act? It is raising rates to accrual rates that are based on your risk factor. I talk to people almost every day who are trying to buy a house only to find out the insurance is more than their mortgage would be. The NFIP is $29 billion in the hole. That's right, $29 billion. The government is going to stop subsidizing the rates. Just remember, flood insurance rates are rising faster than the floodwaters, and that's from Matt. Matt, thank you. And I addressed that the way rates are set for flood insurance are changing in the next federal fiscal year, and that people are going to see potentially uh, shocking price increases at many addresses based on the risk where that property sits. And this is something that Congress has wrestled with for years and years and years. When homeowners insurers stop covering flood as part of your homeowner's policy and lenders said, we're not going to lend a mortgage, do a mortgage to anybody if their home's not covered for floods. That's when the federal government stepped in. Federal government subsidized those rates. Now the subsidies are being greatly reduced and the program is supposed to become pay-as-you-go. It means that the cost of flood insurance in situations where people are in very high-risk areas is going to become backbreaking. So I appreciate your statement that what I said about it being cheap is pure nonsense. It depends on your risk level where your property sits. If somebody is at very minor risk of flooding, the premiums are still, in my opinion, affordable. On the other hand, if you are in an area very prone and subject to risk, then you're going to pay a ton for flood insurance. Clark, you stink like moldy cheese. People love coming up with <laughs> descriptors for how I stink, don't they? They do. The oh, Apple, the Apple antitrust case was a draw. Apple didn't lose it. Epic didn't win. Apple can enforce its contracts against Epic. Epic could choose to link to an in-app payments, and that's from James. James, thank you. So, this was a bad day for Apple, even though Epic only got some of what they want. Apple got some of what they wanted. But the reality is the way Apple and Google operate in their stores for cell phones is not going to stand over time because they have set up these monopoly-oriented toll bridges. And it's not going to continue this way. And this is just the first step and what's going to be democratizing how you use apps on a phone and how you pay for the services from apps on a phone. And the big winner of this is going to be you and me as consumers when the hammer lock that Apple and Google have had on the App Store and the Play Store will become more customer-friendly and you and I, this is so different than all the fights about credit card charges for merchants and all that, because it's been hard to see where you and I, if the retailers win, how we're going to benefit. 
in the case of the uh, what I feel are extreme antitrust actions of Apple and Google, you and I are going to win as both of them are reined in. And the Epic case was just the first skirmish in a war that when it's done, you and I are going to be the winners. Straight ahead, you may be tempted to an exclusive invitation to a financial seminar that includes something fancy like a steak dinner. I'll tell you why you need to either become a vegetarian or cook at home instead of going to that free steak seminar. Because of my age, I'm 66. Virtually every single week, I get an offer for a free dinner. Overwhelmingly, they're at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. I don't know what the deal is about insurance people ripping you off with free steak at Ruth's Chris. I don't know if there's something that is in that 400-degree sizzle plate that fries your brain that you then want to buy garbage insurance products from some pushy salesperson. But we got to talk here because when you get those invitations for the free dinner, it is the most expensive free steak that exists on earth. I mean, you may think it's some Kobe beef somewhere in Tokyo that you might be spending a zillion dollars for. No, let me tell you, the garbage insurance that they'll cram down your throat at one of these seminars is so hideous for your wallet. And I need to make sure you know why the rule is never, 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 not ever go eat that free steak dinner. Because what happens is so often you'll go to one of these dinners and they typically do a presentation first, although it will vary. Um, In TV, we've done hidden camera this before. And what they do is they feed you, and while they're feeding you people, they'll say, who would be interested in coming to hear more about this? And so touts they have buried in the audience will say, I do, I do. This sounds like the greatest thing ever. I mean, my goodness, I'll never have a money worry again in my life. I mean, think about it. I buy this, and all that happens is money just flows into my life month after month after month. And then people feel that pressure, and they sign up, and they feel like because the person speaking, you know, this is in their first rodeo. They get up there, and they sound so much like they know what they're doing, and they use fear overwhelmingly. You know, fear in a time of insecurity as we are in the United States now, fear is a very high motivator. So the insurance salespeople will start trying to terrify you about, oh, yeah, you know, that start stock market crash in 1987, you may not have been around then, but, you know, the market fell 40% in just days, and people's lives were just ruined. And, and then you know what happened in the, in the banking scandals. It, the stock market just fell off a cliff from 2007 to 2009, and, and people's money was just wiped out. And, and look what's happened with the market now. And so what would happen to you if suddenly the market fell apart, you'd be broke. 
You wouldn't be eating Ruth's Chris steak. You'd be eating generic beans from the supermarket. I mean, it's all about getting at your insecurities and your fear and then convincing you that they're your hero. So when is it that you should buy one of these annuities that these people are selling at these steak dinners? Well, the middle Tuesday and never, 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 not ever, any of those things would work because these are all about making the commission insurance salesperson rich at your expense. You are handcuffed to something that has massive, massive expenses built into it, often with ugly what are known as surrender charges that if you later are like, oops, I shouldn't have done this, you might lose 15% of what you put in just to walk away. And the guarantees they promise? All right, so look at that contract. Well, don't look at it at nighttime because you'll fall asleep. But it's not at all unusual for an annuity insurance contract to be 180, 200 pages long. And truth is, the salespeople don't even know what those contracts say. All they know is they're going to get the free trip to Hawaii and they're going to make massive commissions off of you. So think about what's involved for somebody who's not a fiduciary. See, these people aren't legally required to do what's best for you. They can do what's best for them. And if they're paying $125, $150 a head to entertain people at this free steak dinner, you got to know there's huge money in it for them. Yes, there are risks involved in investing. And you have to have the right mix of portfolio. And that's why I want you, when you feel that insecurity, to go see a fee-only financial planner who's a fiduciary who has a legal duty to you to do only what's best for you. But know that the insurance person is not a fiduciary, is not looking out for you, and is only looking out for his or her massive wheelbarrow worth of commission money that they're going to make off of you. So know that you might, instead of going to the free steak dinner, you might go to McDonald's and order off the one, two, three menu and spend $4 plus tax on your dinner. <laughs> I think you should accept a couple of these invitations. You get a free steak dinner, and then you can ask the right questions and help everybody else in the room. All right, so I remember once in my TV work that we went to, uh, to one of these things, and they would not let me in the mm, room. I so bet. we had great video of them not even letting me in because they knew that their whole evening would be blown mm -hmm. if I was in the room. And so uh, just know that this is one that's really simple. You get that thing in the mail. If you recycle your mail, recycle it. If you throw away trash, put it in the trash. The one thing never to do is take it seriously and book that free dinner. Krista? 
This question's from Derek in Wisconsin. My wife and I have two well-compensated careers, and we have $1.5 million in traditional IRAs. Congratulations. S- since, we're all over, since we are over the income limit for contributing directly to a Roth, would you suggest that we convert $100,000 annually from a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA over the next 15 years until we retire? I'm assuming that we will be in a higher tax rate when we retire, and yes, we would have enough money in savings to cover the taxes caused on the conversions each year. So this is a certain amount of this is speculative because you're going to pay the tax on the assumption that you're going to be paying higher tax rates if you leave it in an IRA in retirement than you're paying today. And if you don't have a CPA who helps you with your tax, I would love for you to go talk with uh, a CPA who does tax to go over the scenario based on your combined incomes and what you're likely to have in retirement to see if it is accurate that you're likely to be in a higher tax bracket in retirement. Because I can't give a simple answer to that. you got too much money at stake, a million and a half dollars. Now, the advantage since you can afford to pay the tax of moving that money over, it gives you maximum flexibility in retirement. It doesn't hurt you tax-wise with other benefits you might be eligible for in retirement because the Roth money you spend tax-free. So there are other reasons simply besides the tax that it might make sense for you to do the conversion in stages over the next 15 years. But I don't want you just to say, oh, yeah, Clark thought that was a good idea and go do it. I want you to sit down with a tax expert first. It'll take you just probably a couple of clock hours with that person. The money at, at risk is enough that it's worth spending that money and come to the best educated decision you can on doing the conversion. Okay, Clark, this one's from Yvonne in Florida. We are looking to book an expensive cruise and wanted to know if we can purchase bankruptcy insurance if the cruise line goes belly up. Yvonne, you know, this has been something that's been an issue from time to time, and especially right now because the cruise lines have been so short of money and their financial worthiness continues to be under review by the review services as whether or not they will be okay financially and be able to handle their debts. So when you buy a third-party trip insurance policy, almost always they will cover what's known as supplier default. So you get a twofer here. You get a trip insurance policy that covers in the event you can't go because somebody's ill or some, you know, a close relative dies when you're supposed to go on the trip. But these policies routinely cover what's known as supplier default, the failure, in this case, of the cruise line. And this is from Matthew in Vermont. Do you think broadband 5G wireless technology should be supported through Congress and the United States of America as a whole, or should it be mainly focused on rural parts of the USA? Well, Matthew, I have a hard time with government doing too much in this area anyway, because there are very strong financial incentives for two industries to provide high-speed internet to rural America and pockets of urban America that don't now have high-speed internet. We are on the cusp of having true nationwide rollout of 
the SpaceX satellite service, which we just had complaints about <laughs> last week on uh, Clark Stinks, right? A couple weeks ago. Two I weeks think. ago. Yep. Um, so Starlink is actually, according to Elon Musk, it's going out of beta in the next few weeks, and it's 99 a month and blankets rural America. Uh, the second thing is the cell phone carriers, with particular aggressiveness, Verizon and T-Mobile, are heavily pushing into uh, what's known as fixed wireless internet. And it will be cheaper than what many people in urban areas already pay for the cable monopoly to provide high-speed internet to them. So I, I don't know that there really is a role for government to play in this, but if it did, the greatest gap in internet service in the United States is in rural areas, not urban ones. This is from Brenda in Georgia. After I've paid off my store credit cards, how do I close them or discontinue using them without having it negatively affect my credit score? So store cards have minimal impact, Brenda. They are considered to be junk credit. And so when you finish paying off a store card, it's really a toss-up. You could close the accounts or you could leave them open. They uh, don't really count in your available credit mix like a real credit card, what's known as a major credit card, Discover, American Express, Visa, MasterCard. Uh, store cards are considered to be an inferior form of credit. But there's no nece- it's not really necessary to close them unless you're worried that if they're open, you're likely to use them. So I would say let them go dormant. Pay them off and just let them sit there. But the impact on your credit should be minimal for closing a store card as long as you have two or more major credit cards. Again, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover. And if we didn't get to your question today, you want advice, you know we serve you anyway with the Team Clark Consumer Action Center. One-on-one free advice, Monday through Friday, 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon Eastern Time. And the number to call in, 636 four nine Clark.